Heart Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art, as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art, I Like to Paint Monsters, and you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Zar. Hi, Mike. Hey, Chet. How are you? Oh, I'm all right. <laughs> I'm a little exhausted, I think, like you are. Yeah, I I don't have the energy. I don't have the energy for this, but I'm going to make myself have the energy for this. Uh, we're doing this shit, goddammit, every week. That's right. Pardon Pardon my profanity there, folks. Uh, I actually love God, so when I say God damn it, I don't really mean anything derogatory. It's just a phrase. <laughs> well, you know, God damn it is like, I always thought about that. God damn it. The, what's bad about that is that, or God damn you, or God damn, it's like you're saying, the, the insult is that you're telling, you're saying God should damn you to hell forever. Right, right, right. You know? so it's, it's pretty harsh. It's harsh, but it doesn't seem like the same as, as a curse word in a way. Well, and also I was referring to my exhaustion, and I would curse. I would have God curse my, my exhaustion to hell. True, true. So, <laughs> For eternity. I, <laughs> <laughs> Chet's been, been dogged here by the fear, which is uh, actually, aside from a feeling we all experience, <laughs> the name of, in the name of his show, uh, October 7th at Copperwell Gallery. And he's just painting like a maniac. And then amidst that, what, you're dealing with Son of Conjoined at Son of Monster Palooza and myriad yeah. other insane things, shipping. And- yeah, and I got to sculpt the frame because I'm doing custom hand-sculpted frames. Which are leave, the frames I, oval? Yeah, oval frames. All the paintings are oval. So I have to sculpt the frame from scratch and mold it. So the frames are going to be cool. And I, I got talked to Lee Shamel. Mm-hmm. He's going to do the. He's going to mold and cast the frames for me. So that's taking a huge load off my mind. But Lee is the man. He took a huge load off my mind too because he's working on the Mysterion uh, rewards. The dice Mysterion. Mysterion. Yes, I keep I keep mispronouncing. <laughs> you could still the call it. You could get, still. So you could still pronounce it Mysterion and just use, pronounce it that way because that's like Evian. Yeah, that's true. It's, that's it's true. the French pronunciation. <laughs> well, Lee's doing some doing some work for me on that, which is a huge relief. And now he's helping Chet with this because Lee is just that guy, and we love you, Lee. Yes, we love you, Lee. Um, we also love Greg Escalante, and Chet wanted to say a word about him. Oh yeah, before we get started, well, today we're going to talk. First off, today we're going to talk about David Lynch because uh, Mike and I are huge David Lynch fans. Yes, and it's he's had a great influence on our our work, I think. And uh, but first, I did want to uh, just talk about uh, Greg Escalante for a little bit, just for, just at the beginning, just um, I don't know, a little tribute to him, because sure. as a lot of you know from social media, he died. Um, I don't know, it was like a week ago or something. Yeah, or, last week. Yeah, last week. And he, uh, in case you don't know who he was, but I'm sure by now you do, but in case you don't, he was a, uh, an art collector and a champion of lowbrow art. And he was a, a huge figure in the scene. Everybody knew him. He's the owner of Copro Gallery also. Right. And um, he was one of the people that started Juxtapose Magazine with Robert Williams. And uh, he's just been a champion of this whole... Uh, started out being a champion of, of this kind of custom culture, lowbrow art movement. And he's, he moved with the times and 
you know, became it to champion uh, pop surrealism and dark art and, you know, all of it. So he, he was, I keep talking about him like he's still alive, but he's not. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's really, uh, it's, it was really a shock to hear, but apparently he, uh, he killed himself and he was bipolar and he struggled with this his entire life, which I had no idea because he was always very upbeat and happy when I met, when I talked to him and hung out with mm-hmm. him. And, um, he was only, I think, sixty-two years old, and a young sixty-two as well. He was a yeah, surfer. Yeah. yeah, he was a surfer, and uh, totally into art. I don't think I. He loved art more than anybody I know, or as as much as anybody I know who loves art. He was so into it, and um, but he was such a cool guy. I was so shocked to hit to hear the news. Um, he, I, I guess, uh. The thing about Greg is that he was like this bridge for, for, for us. He represented this bridge between us lowly scumbags of the underground art world and, <laughs> and the anointed <clears throat> blue chip fine art establishment. He was kind of a go between. He had his hands in both worlds. So he, he spent so much of his time trying to promote our scene and our artwork to the more the academic elites that that were get you know the ones that have all the money and the ones that get all the money and the ones that decide who to promote and uh that so that was so, so important for our movement i mean i can't tell you how much he's he's really done for the scene it's pretty pretty amazing and a pretty amazing guy and uh uh I, I, he he got me my my one and only interview in juxtapose magazine um, <clears throat> he introduced me to an artist that lives right down the street from me. This uh, guy, Brian Maines. I had no idea this this guy existed. He's an incredible artist. Uh, M A I N S. If you look him up, he's got really cool stuff. This guy lives in, right down the street, but he. I mean, this is a good example of Greg. He just he called me up and he um and it's not like Greg and I hung out all the time. I would see him at Copro openings basically and um, mm-hmm. talk to him that way. Um, but he would just, you know, he knew that Brian lived in Monrovia and he had a meeting with him because juxtapose, or I think it was juxtapose was going to do an article with him. And he just called me up and said, Hey, you want to come and see Brian Maine's work at his house? We're going to go there. We're going to be in your neighborhood. And and then, and then we, you know, and then we went over there, saw his stuff. I was working on ego death at the time. So I had all the oh, ego okay. death paintings blocked off. I don't, blocked blocked in. I don't know if you remember that po- photo I posted of all of the paintings in front of my yeah, fireplace. Yeah, that, totally. was, that was from that day. And, um, you know, they came over to my house and checked the workout. And then we went to Zello after <laughs> uh, had of course, some pizza. Of course. <laughs> but Greg was just like that. He was so, he was very um, generous to artists and he was very supportive of artists. Really, you know, more than I think anybody I know in, in the mm-hmm. scene, very just mm-hmm. wanted to help artists, especially uh, artists like us that needed the help. So it was really sad, really a bummer. He's, he's you know, the last, like I said, the last guy I would think would do something like that. And um, he's definitely going to be missed because he really was a, a big part of of the movement. He was really a big part of the movement. And it just goes to show you don't have to be an artist to be a big part of yeah the art world. Right. 
you know he, right it's you, you can i mean i was thinking the other day uh, uh this is kind of off topic but <clears throat> anybody can be a part of especially this art scene yeah you know you don't have to be an artist you can figure out what your talents are and offer them up to your local gallery or yep. or other artists on the internet that might need help you know you you can yep. you can become a part of the scene a lot of people you know even if if you can't afford to collect or whatever you can or even just, I mean, I, you know, even when I look at like the, the, the social media scene, as it were, you know, I see a lot of these, these people that really are encouraged and, and enjoy being involved in watching their favorite artists produce and being able to have that personal interaction with those individuals, whether it's, you know, offering up a title for, for a, a piece that they're working on, or just being able to see that, that process as it transpires, you know, and that, that even in and of itself self just on social media being a part of the the people that are perhaps even just aspiring artists even on a personal level they're just they enjoy doing art for themselves they may not never show it to anybody but they're able to really you know be a part of something that is bigger than them even if they aren't you know out there doing these paintings that take you know 100 hours and and is going to be in some show at some famous gallery you know mm-hmm. just by just by supporting the artists that are doing their work and by exploring their own creativity in their own way, even if no one ever sees it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even, you know, Gary Diocampo, do you know Gary? Yeah. Yeah. You know, he, uh, he's kind of like an art. Uh, I don't know if you call him a hobbyist. He's actually pretty good. He, he does really cool little cartoons, but, but he's kind of known for, he's kind of, a uh, promotes for Guillermo and helps mm-hmm. Guillermo mm-hmm. out. Guillermo del Toro. And I don't think it's because he knew Guillermo. He just offered to help him out. And and he mm-hmm. and now you see him, he promotes just all kinds of cool things that he likes. And he promotes my work and he pr- promotes mm-hmm. other artists' work. And so he's part of the community in a, in a way that he's not on the outside of it. He's, he's within it and he's part of it. And mm-hmm. it's just because he wants to help push it and promote it. And, uh, you know, just like I said, it just goes to show you, you may have a talent in accounting or graphic design or whatever you can, you can offer your, you know, you can help out and and be part of the community. Or like I said, like you were saying, you know, or you could just, you know, promote things and, or like rock and Rana, you know, she, she, she promotes all of us to all, all all on Facebook. And, and that's, you know, and she's part of the community, you know, I feel like she's part of, part of the community. Absolutely. So anyway, that's, beside the point i just wanted to say a little something about greg because he's uh just going to be sorely missed and um a real it's a really a, a sad thing for the whole movement really is so um, it is well and you know i think another thing that's important to go ahead and mention is that you know here's a man who was was probably not known by most of the people in his world as being bipolar and suffering from that mental illness and as we know in our contemporary culture mental illness is just as real as any other kind of illness and a lot of people many many more than would ever admit it and who spend most of their life masking it and who knows I don't know him well enough to know how much masking he did but nevertheless the point that I'm making is is that you know for those people out there who suffer from mental illness please reach out to someone in your world because right. it, it's it's far better to take the opportunities that are available to you 
until, you know, before there are none. And, and there are people that care. And often there are far more than you ever realize. And truthfully, they're probably so preoccupied with their own stuff that, yeah, they don't see it. But reach out because people do care and they will do backflips to help you, you know. Mm-hmm. And also yeah. for those people in this world, too, that have people in their life that they know have mental illness and that they, you know, uh, are concerned about those people. Help them, you know, do what you can to support those people and do what you can to help them get the kind of resources resources they need and take it seriously because it's a really important thing. I mean, life is probably the most valuable thing. And when a person loses it, it affects many, many more that are still alive. And so it's vastly important that I think it become, uh, you know, something that we focus more on in our, in our world. And so I think that this is an opportunity to remind everyone that it's important and don't forget, you know, and reach out for help if you need it because people care. Yes. Yes. And I, and it's, I, I see more people, uh, admitting that they have it, which yes. is great on social media. So I think it's great to, to, cause you know, if you, if you don't have mental illness yourself, you probably have something close to it and, or you probably have a, a friend, I'm sure, you know, someone or have a relative it's, yep. it's a big thing. So it's, you know, it needs to stop being treated as this dark secret you know, because it's so common now, it's more like we need to be open about it and, 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 and just, just learn, learn how to ways of, of dealing with it rather than pretending it's not there or ignoring or just it. Im- yeah. Or imprisoning people. I mean, you know, look yeah, at our prisons right. and they're highly overpopulated with people that really need treatment. Mm-hmm. What they need is they need treatment for their mental illness. And, and a lot and of that, you know, like in prisons. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, and you look at, you know, the addiction and alcoholism issues that go on. Most of those issues are actually a symptom Absolutely. of the real problem, which is mental illness. So again, it's just, it's important, you know, Chet and I both know people that are mentally ill. We deal with mental illness. We have family members that are mentally ill. And so it's important to us uh, to advocate for that within all of this, because, you know, a lot of the, a lot of, at least I know what I do for myself. Cause I also suffer from, from mental illness is that my artwork is my conduit. You know, if I'm able to get that out of my head and externalize it, then it changes the, you know, the power of it. Yeah, and absolutely. so for me, that's a coping mechanism. And so I think it's again, that fits right into this whole dark art society. Thing, yeah, for know? sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's therapeutic work and uh yeah it does fit in so anyway let's get off this bummer yeah bummer 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 subject um and on to david lynch oh well, let's, let's gonna introduce mention, lupe yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was gonna mention because she was lupe. chewing on the microphone a second ago yeah. <laughs> you're gonna hear some noises i'm i'm puppy sitting my lupe and if you guys i'm i'm building a tag for her for the fun of it on instagram it's lupe l-u-p-e and then n-m for new mexico lupe <laughs> n-m ah. so if you look at there's only two pictures so far but why not right uh super cute looks like a miniature german shepherd um really not she's a, a rat terrier chihuahua mix but she really does look like a miniature german shepherd put her face so I'm going to post a picture right now. Okay. Well, I'm going to hold you up, Lupe. You going to look up here? <laughs> oh, there's our little interview guest. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> right, so she's, she's going to hang tight with us and I may have to like step out for potty breaks and things. But uh, Chet and I, again, as we said before, are, are diligent in wanting to pursue our uh, every week, every Wednesday episode for the Dark Art Society podcast. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Today, we're going to talk about David Lynch. David Lynch. So I, I we have to uh, the title we can't put just David Lynch because people will think we actually got David Lynch on. 
Yeah, right. Like that would be so really lame of us to, to be like our, our thoughts about David Lynch or something. Yeah, yeah um, totally. Because David Lynch is, for, for as Chet already mentioned, for both of us, a huge, uh, not just, I wouldn't just say an influence. I mean, he definitely has influenced my work. I don't know if I could see it directly or indirectly, but um, just uh, he's a, he's one of my favorite thinkers, philosophers, artists, and genuine human beings in this world. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a genius for sure. Um, yeah, I... Uh, uh, Wait a minute. There's a Lupe underscore NM. No, just Lupe NM. L U P E NM. L U P E and then NM. There's a there's a few of them. Well, I only found two that I had done. I didn't see any the other. The top tags one is some woman. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but when I when I started tagging that, I, I searched a tag out that had I thought had no no uh, associated tags, but maybe I did it wrong. Nevertheless. Okay. Anyway, I'm gonna post this. So yeah. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Well, if you go to you go to at NRG Creations on Instagram at NRG Creations, which is my company, you, there are pictures of Lupe right there, as well as other cool shit that I do. So you can enjoy Lupe as well as my artwork. David Lynch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, sorry. Um, uh, 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 Chet's a Chet's a glutton for dogs, guys. So he got so excited about the tag with Lupe that he had to go look, and he's posting the picture of Lupe simultaneously because he is a dog fiend. Right now, I'm playing with her with her ropey toys so that she will stay occupied while we do it. Because <laughs> she is four months and two weeks, guys. Yeah, she yeah. is a handful. Okay, I posted. Okay, so um, yeah. So David Lynch is is has been a, a, a huge influence on me as as well since. The eighties. Yeah. Um, so you got into him in the eighties. Yeah. It was for me, it was a racer head. Cause in the eighties, a racer head that had this kind of big resurgence in the midnight theaters and the video. Right. Didn't they, yeah. Didn't they used to play it in like uh, over and over in LA at like midnight showings or something yeah, for years? I think so. But also the eighties, the eighties was when videotapes became a big thing in video rental stores. Mm-hmm. So we would go and rent a racer head and you know, that movie's so incredible and disturbing and weird like i have i i want to watch it again but it's like i don't want to sit i don't want to listen to that baby crying it's so like grating it's so hard to get through it's you feel so horrible for oh my god so so it's like uh, especially right now with this little puppy (laughs) there's no way i could watch a racer head because i'm telling you getting woke up at four in the morning to have to do the outside thing yeah it's not even the the annoying thing as much as you know whenever i hear a baby cry i just it's like this paternal instinct thing that to where i i feel like i just kills me even when they're just crying because they that's what they do i just it just it's like i feel like i have to do something i feel bad for them like it hurts my heart to hear the babies cry so that movie especially is the whole you know a large chunk of it is that baby that baby and eraser crying you know but it's so it's such an it's amazing and it's like you know you if you if you haven't seen eraser i'm sure most of you have if you haven't watch it and you will see the influence directly on my artwork for sure. You know, the whole, you know, dystopian drippy industrial, uh, you know, oily rusty world. I mean, it's really, I, 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 that's, I didn't realize it until we started, you know, working on the, the dystopia, the field guide, Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I watched. I think it was that new David Lynch um, documentary. I didn't realize how. Yeah, you had me watch that. That was great. Yeah, really yeah, that. yeah. That was excellent. The art life. 
It's great. Yeah, it was great. But how, how um, I, I, that's when I realized how great his influence was on my work and how much dystopia has in common. The world of dystopia yeah. has in common with that kind of eraser head world. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's really a, it's, there's, it's, I feel like, you know, there's a, there's a big influence there. Well, so, it's no wonder, it's no wonder that I was so drawn to your work because I, I didn't come to your work until many, many, many years after I was into David Lynch. Right. So now that you make that point, you know, I never really thought about it a whole lot, honestly. <laughs> I'm sitting here kind of like, oh well, yeah, no specifically shit. Specifically huh? <laughs> a specifically a racer head though. Sure, that, sure. Yeah, it's because like a dream like. So, yeah, and it's like, it, it feels, it feels uh, post-apocalyptic. Right. Yeah. Somehow, like yeah. it feels like it's after some big bad disaster somehow and it's you know and also nightmarish in a way that it's it's like very surrealist yeah it's like reality but it's not it's it's you know there's always the sound of those machines going on yeah, in the background yeah. and hydraulic pumps yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah totally yeah, it's so good but so after uh eraser head that was such a you know that was just the big shock kind of shock cult movie to watch on video um but and after that, my you know I uh, Blue Velvet came out in the theater. Mm-hmm. I I remember going to see Blue Velvet in the theater when it came out, and it was and it really that's that's my favorite David Lynch film. And it really, mm-hmm. I had such a a bad feeling when I came out of it, like like a <laughs> sick feeling in my stomach, in a good way though, like because it, it was so good. And and I and I watched it recently again, and it's even better than it was back then. Like I get it way more now. Like now I know about noir. I was a teenager back then. I didn't know about film, right, film right. noir really. And I remember a lot of things in blue velvet. I thought that's weird. Why is he doing that? Like there's one, at one point there's a shot where it shows the name of the street and it goes, dun, 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 you know, real dramatic. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, what the yeah. hell is that in there for? And it's like, so film noir. It's, it's clearly a tip of the hat to the whole film noir thing, which is that movie is kind of like a postmodern, arty film noir type movie you know right, what i mean right right so yeah i that movie is just i it's a, a masterpiece I, that it's uh don't, don't you agree that's a great great oh, film. yeah yeah it's, blue velvet i mean blue velvet was really i think the first time that he had done something that was really cohesive you know, right, unto yeah. itself. It was like a full story right. and it wasn't, it, it, you know, it, there was nothing about it that was like, I don't understand what's going on. It was clear, right, you know, the storyline right. was very salient and readily available. And so it really was, again, like you said, kind of his, almost his breakout in a certain way, even though he'd done other things because he had full control over what that story was. Right. And he told it in the exact fashion that right. he wanted to visually and otherwise. So yeah, it just has, a, there's a, and of course, it's just incredibly disturbing. I mean, you know, again, on yeah. par for David Lynch is like he is able to, in so many ways, make you feel so wrong, but so excited about feeling that way. You yeah, know? Yeah, and it's yeah. like, how do you do that? You know, and it, I guess that, again, that is kind of like how your your paintings are. In a, in a certain right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, one thing I read is that, you know, how Frank Booth, the villain, um, mm-hmm, breathes mm-hmm. The, Dennis Hopper. Yeah, he breathes the nitrous or whatever when he's having some cra- when he gets crazy, which is yeah. the a most amazing idea ever. Originally <laughs> I had read somewhere that David Lynch wanted that to be helium. So that really, be, so yeah, his, his yeah, voice would get all crazy. And, 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 and Dennis Hopper told him, you know, that's going to be too comical. I think we should do like something that doesn't change my voice. Cause he, you know, when he goes back into, he regresses kind of into this 
little evil baby character when he yeah, kind of yeah. ra- rapes this woman and he uses this nitrous to get all high. But it, it would have been, I thought, it, I so think they should have done the helium thing because he's, the whole thing is he gets all high and he's all like, mommy, mommy. And yeah, if he had that yeah. high helium voice, it would have been, oh my God, it, would, it might it may have been too much for people to deal with. <laughs> well, that's probably why they had to rein it in because, you know, I mean, even Eraserhead is like, as you already mentioned, it's like you have to be in the right state of mind to yeah, watch the movie, right. you know? And if you and have like, kids, this was it really a, This is, was a yeah. film that was like going to be in theaters. This right. was like a film that, you know, mass consumers were going to be right. invested in. So they probably did. It probably was a smart move, but nevertheless, yeah. Can you on, imagine? On a non-commercial level, just on an artistic <laughs> yeah, level. Can you yeah, imagine uh, uh, Dennis Hopper and a... <laughs> Helium voice, mommy, mommy. Yeah, oh my that'd god. Be so creepy. But I, you know, one thing I love about that, I, I think he he struck, uh, you know, a great balance between the surreal and reality in that movie too, because it's very, oh, yeah. it's very arty. There's those incredible shots of the candle burning and mm-hmm. getting blown out, and the beginning with the, you know, uh, the ants and the bugs or the beetles, the beetles yep. under under the underground, and ah, uh, it's so. Oh, it's so good. I can't even believe well, it. Just you know, it even fit, when you think about it, it really fits in even to on on uh, the art life. What he's talking about, you know, and, and even in and I'll talk about this a little bit later when I'm telling a little bit more my introduction story to David Lynch. But there's a great book called Lynch on Lynch. And he talks about this in there as well, which is that notion that like there's whole worlds in your backyard. You know, there's whole worlds within a cubic square foot of earth, right. you know. And so that whole shot really is conjuring that whole sensation of like there's this whole world going on right here. Well, that, that, you know, my, microscopically. Well, you that's know? The, that's the that was. That's the whole. I mean, this is fresh in my mind because I just watched it a few weeks ago. But that's the mm-hmm. whole uh, metaphor: is that it's it's happy, happy American town, you know, middle American town, and right. and there's this seedy underbelly that, that's going on that nobody yeah, knows about. Yeah. And that's he when it goes into the grass and it shows all the beetles. That's what he's saying. It's like there's this creepy ass world that's happening and no one can see it. And it's underneath uh, the pr- nice, pretty grass and beautiful right. rose garden and, and the, everything. And like, and, the, and they'll like leave it to beaver Kyle McLaughlin character right. with the bluebird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's the, the, the well, that's the, 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 was it the rock? Wasn't it the Robins? Wasn't it a Robin? Like that it was a Robin. You're yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that ending show. That's the other thing is that I wondered if that, what I couldn't get as a kid, everyone's seen Blue Velvet now. It is this is there's going to be spoilers here, so if you haven't seen Blue Velvet, it's it's your own fault at this point. <laughs> yeah, you should have already watched it. What's wrong uh, with you? But you should watch it if you haven't, and we'll forgive you if you watch it. But um, there's that <laughs> ending shot with the 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 Robin because she talks about Laura Dern talks about the Robins coming home or something. There's like a, a mm-hmm, metaphor for mm-hmm. the the Robin. I forget what it was now, but at the end it shows that Robin with the beetle in its mouth. Right. And I remember in the theater thinking, you know, cause I kind of knew that David Lynch was, you know, a weirdo and he made weird surreal stuff. And I was like, <laughs> is that cause it looked kind of fake. That bluebird looked kind of fake. And I was right. wondering, it looks super fake. Yeah, and, yeah, and, I, and like I was badly and I was, painfully. Fake. And I was like, is it supposed to be fake? But but and and I wasn't sure if he wanted it to look fake. Now look, seeing the movie now, I realize I think it's no, and I think he, I think it. They tried to make it look real. It was just like a limitation. Oh really? I think so. I think so because it is. You can tell the way the thing's built and the way that it's moving. They it seems like you know if they were going to make it look intentionally fake, it it would should have been a lot faker. 
So I, I think it's it was just an attempt. You watch the movie again. Watch the movie again. Yeah, I'll it's need to so watch good. it again. It's so good. There are, but there are other things that I remember in that film just as a result of the time that it was made looking a little hokey. So I can see why you're saying that. But I also see like the metaphor of like even at the end – the thing that's supposed to, you know, be the symbol of of beauty and and life and purity is also fake. Like there's this facade up over it still. Like the story yeah, goes on. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that could that could be it. That could be it. That could be it. But anyway, after after Blue Velvet, it was I was just a huge David Lynch fan, and um, you know he's been. I haven't loved all of his movies, but um, uh, I've recently, you know. Thanks to you was finally got Lost Highway, watched right. it again because I did not I, I didn't get it the first time it was totally confusing when I saw it when it first came out, right. and now I you know totally understand it or you know as much as you can and uh, totally got it and now it's great one of his best I think Lost yeah. Highway it's so good so yeah good. Lost Highway is definitely I'll have a lot to, I have a lot to say about Lost Highway <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for sure uh, I I have I have to watch Dune again. Because I know that was his big bomb, and um, right, but it's kind of got become a cult film, and I haven't seen it since that came out. And I do remember I went to the theater and saw that, and I, I didn't think it was that great at the time when I was a teenager. But sure, sure. But I need to see that again. But the other one I didn't love at the time was Wild at Heart. Oh, really? You didn't yeah. like Wild at Heart? When huh. I saw it, I was I wanted Blue Velvet style, and it, and it was oh, like okay. it was it was a little more funny, right? Like quirky wasn't it kind of like it's a little bit more corny sure i could i would i would go with corny because like the whole uh nicholas cage uh aspect it, yeah the nicholas cage aspect was a little bit like he kind of this almost elvis rock rockabilly right. kind of guy and yeah there i could see that I, why I, you would say that a little I corny to, sure, I mean, sure. but i was a teenager but man there's know. some disturbing fucking scenes in that film yeah too. i need to watch it i want to see it i've been looking i can't find it streaming anywhere so uh-huh. I, I do. I used to have it on VHS when I used to have my beautiful VHS collection. <laughs> I, but I know that's kind of people talk about that like it's a, it's one of the good ones. So I I want I absolutely I want to see everything he's done again because um yeah, yeah. even uh yeah there's there's a, there's a lot of them um, Inland Empire had some amazing stuff in it. Yeah, man, I've only watched that one once, and I, and that's one, like you said, I'd like to watch that one again, because I don't know that I got it the first time right. I watched it, and I think partly it was the circumstances, because I was like, I was real sick. I remember I was real sick when I watched it, and I rented it. That was back in the day of, like, Hollywood and Blockbuster video, yeah. and, I went up and I rented it, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, I remember, like really not being able to hang with the the resolution because it was like shot yeah. mini DV style. Yeah, and yeah. even though I can dig on the mini DV thing, like I feel like you still have to kind of do some bells and whistles to right. give it a filmic quality and it really lacked that. So that mm-hmm. might've been what put me off, but that's kind of a meager excuse really, to be honest. Yeah. You know, one great, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you get into your, your story about David oh, no Lynch. Story, but, no um, one great, one of my favorite David Lynch movies that not a lot of people have seen is The Straight Story. Yeah, is, yeah. Which is, you know, a G-rated movie he did for Disney. Right. That's got, it's not dark. It's not creepy. It's super sweet and sentimental and really touching, you know, and it really, it's like, it makes you cry at the end. It's so sweet. The, the, the ending shot is so amazing. The ending scene. I don't know if you remember it, but yeah, I do. It's so good. And, and it's based on a true story and it's weird and funny. 
like super oddball and funny, but um, it's not what you'd think from David Lynch. It just kind of goes to show that, you know, uh, how talented he is really. Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Super flexible and adaptable and yeah, totally. Yeah. So anyway, what's your, how, when did you first discover Lynch? Well, David Lynch for me actually was, I first discovered when I was in college. Hold on one sec. Lupe, you gotta lay down here. <laughs> Seriously, here, lay down. <laughs> she all doesn't want to lay down. down. She's, she's like, I don't want to. She's like, I want to be. She's okay. four months old and she doesn't want to lay down. All right, fine. You have a toy and everything. Do you need a peanut butter Kong? I should give her a peanut butter Kong is what I should do. But yeah, anyway, right. <laughs> moving on. Um, yeah, so my first introduction to David Lynch was in college. So I went off to college. For me, that was 1998. Uh, I was born in 1979. So in 1998, I went off at the, the age of 18 to college, and I got into all kinds of art stuff because I – well, I mean, not that I already hadn't been, but I, I was accepted as a pre-art major to college. So I had you know art classes that were right out the gates, and right away, I, I – started locating these really cool local video stores. And I can't remember the name of the place now. It kind of eludes me, but there was this one particular video store that had all kinds of really weird, random David Lynch stuff that like, well, and all kinds of random stuff just in general, but they had these David Lynch VHS cassettes that were his college work. So it had like the grandma and the alphabet. And these were like his original stuff, the stuff that he was doing when he was in college. And he had like stipends from some kind of film bureau or something and was like creating these almost like you know, moving paintings to whatever degrees. They're so bizarre and, yeah. and intense. And they're really shades of what's to come with Eraserhead, you know? Mm. And so, of course, I watched, I, you know, I, I'm like one of those people, I'm like, I want to watch it all in chronological order. You yeah. Know? <laughs> so I, I watched all this creepy little stuff that he did, these stop action mixes with, you know, pe- weird heads vomiting out the sides of walls. And, you know, and the grandma is probably the most cohesive short. It's super disturbing, again, where like he's using sound as a way to convey emotion motion by almost like through a person's voice and, and through the ambient sound. And like, it's a, it's a sensation that's created with the music. That's super disturbing, you know, and, and really right. takes you into a strange place. And he does this thing. I noticed right away where he'll get the volume going down lower and lower and lower. And so as a consequence, you know, you're leaning in and you're leaning in, you're leaning in, and then he'll just hit you in the face with like the sound of a teapot screaming for the grandma's voice, you know, uh-huh. and it just blows you back. Cause you're like, you're leaning in because it's getting quieter and then all of a sudden he hits you in the face with this sound it's real shocking and jarring you know so right away i was like man this guy's got an edge you know he knows how to plus of course it's just again it's like looking at a surrealist painting that's moving you know because it's so dolly-esque almost you know and nonsensical and almost dottist and it's like kind of like what even is there any sense can you make sense (laughs) out of this is it just like you know trip balls and watch this thing and and not understand it or, you know, so that it's enigmatic, it's ambiguous. And it's, and it's not just, you know, for me, I have this big thing about ambiguity. It's not mildly ambiguous. It's like seriously ambiguous, you know, where you're like, you're left to your own devices, figure it out. You know, So I was really turned on by it. So of course, then I watched Eraserhead and was like, you know, that's like, I would, I would relate it to when I first saw your, your painting pipe dream. And I was like, fuck, I've seen that thing. You know, that's how I felt when I watched Eraserhead. Like I've been there in dreams. Like I've been to that place, you know, like it's just so smacks of an experience I've had, otherworldly experiences. And so of course, 
course, I'm just like enamored. It's black and white, creepy, super saturated, <laughs> yeah. you know? And then just the whole thing is disturbing. Like throughout it, you're like, he just is building your anxiety. He's yeah, making you nervous, yeah. constantly making you yeah, nervous. Yeah, it makes a very you know? anxiety-ridden film. For yeah, sure. yeah. And, but it's amazing. And, and really, after you watch it and you really kind of sit with it and think about it, you know, it's profound what he's saying. And that's that's really, I think, again, what, what's interesting is that, you know, what is being said without being said is profound. Mm -hmm. And it is individualistic in that each person is going to have a slightly different shade of interpretation, you know, and th there's a beauty in that, you know, yeah. that, and that's a hard thing to achieve because you go too far into ambiguity and you lose people entirely. Oh, yeah, for if sure. you don't have enough, then they feel like they're beating them in the face with a story. Right, so you got to right. find this balance. Well, you that know? whole that whole movie was really, I think the the it was about um, be, being a father. You know, yes, the, the anxiety exactly. the anxieties of having a child. And yeah, because he had just had Jennifer Lynch. Right, <laughs> <laughs> he's feeling it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, just when you're and, you, and if you have a kid and your kid is sick, you 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 get it. You can relate to really relate to um, uh, a razor head that horrible yeah. feeling and, uh, well, and I've never had kids and I can still relate to yeah, it. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it again, is that it, you know, really is like a shuffle deck, you know, anybody can kind of feel something different from it, you know? Right. And what's interesting too, and, and I'll mention again, I read a book when, I don't know, I guess it would have been maybe 2007 when I read this book, it's called Lynch on Lynch. I highly recommend it to anybody who's interested in David Lynch. And it's basically an interview with David Lynch about David Lynch. And they wrote a whole book about him. And he talks about all his films. He talks about his life. He talks about basically all the things that are in these documentaries they're making right. but it's literary you know so you got to be like a bibliophile like me to be digging on that kind of stuff but nevertheless great book and he talked about you know his experiences doing Eraserhead and talks about a lot of all his experiences with all of these films um and in Eraserhead I know that you know like for instance that little creature that he made it was a big secret he wouldn't tell anybody oh, how he right. made it yeah you know, he yeah. made that himself and, yeah which is crazy because it's holds up as a great makeup effect it doesn't look oh, yeah to bad. this day yeah it still holds up it's really amazing i mean owing partly to the fact that it's black and white let's be honest because black and white That's allows true. a much greater range you know but nevertheless it's an amazing thing and he created it and it was like a big secret and the joke on set was like you know maybe he he grew it you know like right. he <laughs> hold on one sec okay i don't know what that is um yeah, so, you know, and there was all these jokes that, like, maybe he was breeding these little creatures or something. Right, you know? or that he used a, a, a cow, a calf, a, a dead calf. Right, a dead baby calf. Yeah. yeah, but then it was like, you know, the whole thing articulates and stuff. It's yeah, pretty it fascinating. It can't be. It can't be. Because he, he's, no. he's always been in, you know, if you watch the, the, the uh, new documentary, The Art Life, it shows, you know, one of the things I think is so cool about him is that he is a solitary artist that actually sure. makes his own shit. You know, he could yeah. have assistance, he could have totally. a crew, but he makes it himself and you can, and there's so much, so much, so many shots of him making the art. You really see how for this kind of artwork, how important it is for the artist to actually make the artwork because yes. it's happening with his hands. He's sitting and thinking about it. He's smoking a cigarette. Mm -hmm. He's looking at it. He's thinking about what to do. Smoking 5,000 cigarettes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so I think that's another cool thing about him among, oh, yeah. among many, yeah. many others. He's just cool. David Lynch is well, cool. And that was actually kind of what I discovered right after Eraserhead. So I watched the next movie I watched was Lost Highway. And right around that time, 
the internet was kind of becoming a thing, I guess, like 98, 99, right? right? And I was in college, and so I'd go to the library, the the college library, because I didn't have internet in my room. You know, I was like, that yeah. was that was money. I didn't have money for that kind of nonsense. So I went to the library, and I got on, and I started looking up David Lynch. I was like, ooh, this, this guy's amazing. He's been around forever. He's done all this stuff. And I knew at that point all the other stuff he'd done that I hadn't watched yet that I was like, oh, that's going to be next, you mm-hmm. know? And I watched Lost Highway out of order because I was too excited to watch the film because it had like Nine Inch Nails did the score. I loved Nine Inch Nails at that time right. in my life. Marilyn Manson was involved and I loved yeah. Marilyn Manson at that time. <laughs> There's too many like bells ringing in my head for, you know, uh, Blake's in it, you know, yeah. so on and so forth. But anyway, so I got online and I looked up and I was like, David Lynch, one of the first things that came up was his fine art. And I was like, whoa, dude, the guy does fine art. Yeah, like, yeah. What a trip, you know, and I was looking through all this stuff online, you know, early Internet days and was just like, this is amazing. Like, I've never seen anything like this. I can't believe this isn't like in galleries, but it was so clearly like way ahead of its time. Yeah. You know, 98, 99. He'd been doing that shit since like 92. It's like, you know, that was way it was way beyond what people were interested. In. But I was like watching him, you know, do these latex things and then rip the latex out. They're showing these process pictures and then put meat in there and drizzle honey. And you're talking on in it. a and canvas, then, right? In yeah, a canvas? on a canvas yeah. that's flat outside. Yeah. He would like take the canvas, build up this latex like wart on it, rip it open. It was vacuous inside. Pack it full of meat, drizzle honey on on it and then let it sit out there and let it rot and let the ants go into yeah. it and let bees do their thing until he's satisfied with it and then he just lacquers that bitch in there like it's just part of the right. thing and it, you know it's just amazing like I was I was blown away I was like this guy is a renaissance yeah his you art know? is his his paintings are great it's and and you know you know the kind of stuff I like it's a little more academic and you know his stuff is a little more outside uh, yeah a little more like uh, yeah I guess you'd call it outsider art a little like uh, I don't want to say naive. You know what I'm saying? Like the un- yeah. un- untrained in that way, technically. Sure, sure. But um, but I love his work, and it and it really isn't just because I love his film work. It's like it, there's something really cool about about you know the, his paintings are a lot like his movies. They're dark and mm-hmm. kind of funny. Mm-hmm. They've got a weird sense of humor, and uh, I I really. I just like them. They resonate with me. You know, there's the song. Well, and they conjure. Yeah, they conjure some kind of a weird feeling too. Like, for instance, the the kid with the long arms. Yeah, you know? that's what and I was I, thinking. Yeah, like was... that would be a great. I wish we'd use that picture for that. We can't really use his artwork, but anyway, that that one for me is like really hits me in the gut, right? And the reason is because like I know that feeling. Like when I'm tr- having a fever as a kid, and your arms and legs feel like they're like stretched right, out like right. a million miles away, and it's yeah. such like an unnerving sensation, you know. And he captures all of that, right? there you know and part of it is because it looks so kind of like unacademic it looks kind of like you know it was made by you know a kid almost you know and there's that sense of like that childhood feeling in it that authentic pure essence of a feeling in it you know that really children are able to imbue in in artwork better than adults are (laughs) most of the time right yeah yeah i dig it i love his i love his his artwork uh so what did you think of uh Mulholland Drive. Well, let me, but hold on. Oh, okay, yeah, you, no, you go Drive. back, go back. You haven't finished yeah. your story. So, so Mulholland Drive, I, I would like to talk about Mulholland Drive. But so the next thing I watched was Lost Highway. And I was at, at that point, after I watched Lost Highway, I was like, dude, David Lynch could basically do anything and I would be I happy. I think Lost with. Highway to you was what Blue Velvet was to me, right? Totally, totally. Yeah, because yeah. it was like, it was a breakthrough piece. It was right. done in such, and, and even to this day, people puzzle over it. I mean, that's, you know, that's how. Once you know the secret, 
it all makes sense though. That's the well, thing. Well, it's super simple. That's yeah. the thing. Even like with Mulholland Drive, it's super simple too. It's not complex. That's the right. thing about David Lynch. It's actually really obvious, and he'll even say it. He's like, it's actually like really obvious what I'm saying. Right. You know, it's just that people don't think the way he thinks, of course. So for him, it's super obvious. Once you crack the nut, of course it's obvious. You're like, well, duh, there's the nut. But you know, cracking that shell is a whole different thing. Yeah. And so you know, Lost Highway, I watched, it was just a masterpiece. I mean, I immediately had to watch it again. I watched it twice in a row. I watched it once. I got done and I was like, what <laughs> the fuck? You know, like if it was nowadays, I'd have been like W2TF, you know, <laughs> what the hell? So I watched it again and was like, dude, that film, like, you know, it just, it, it took me in places that I didn't even know a film could take me. Like I, I was just reeling from the, the experience of having watched it and still didn't understand it at all. Like all right. I was like, I mean, I had my ideas, but it was a real disjointed that I didn't have a cohesive way to talk about it. Certainly. Right. Um, but God, the sensations that are created in that film, and I won't do a spoiler on that one at all for anybody. Not that you really could spoil that film, because like, <laughs> how do you even, you know? But there are, yeah, there are scenes of intensity in that film, and I will, and this will be my segue to Mulholland Drive. And although I have a couple other I want to mention, that there are scenes of intensity in that film, like the the, the scene where he's on the phone at the party, right? And he's, That's the know, classic. That was, yeah. I won't say anything else, but yeah. that scene. Similarly, with Mulholland Drive, when they're sitting in the diner and they're talking and they're having the, the conversation, the one guy's like, this was the dream, you know, this, it was exactly like this. You were right there. That that scene right there, right. the tension is like, you know, it, it's, it's, it goes to show that dramatic action is not action in the sense that we perceive action, which is like explosions and car chases and all of that. It is the tension between two people who want two different things. Right. You know what I mean? And that sensation that builds and to be able to do that in such a mundane environment with such mundane dialogue and mundane yeah. looking characters, so diametrically opposed to the import of what's going on that it just, it, it's almost like cognitive dissonance. You know, right. how do you wrap your head around what's happening here? Yeah. And he just beats you in the face with that. And then you're so confused you can't even get to really what's going on which is actually pretty obvious and really mostly you could figure out what's going on in the first few paces of a david lynch film like he normally gives it away pretty quick actually yeah. <laughs> you know yeah so well, Mulholland Drive. i mean do you do you want to talk about well Mul I, I did want to mention real quick though i did want to mention um uh oh of course i can't think of the name of it right now with the with with hurt with uh hurt in it oh, uh john man yeah, the Elephant Man. Yeah. So I wanted that's to mention- another one I saw in the theater that, and I think I was too young to fully appreciate that I need to see again because it is. I it, it, I remember thinking, I remember feeling emotional and feeling sad and stuff. But yeah, when I saw good. it, yeah, yeah, I know it's it's a really it's good incredible. One. And and what's interesting though that I learned uh, when I was reading Lynch on Lynch is that he tried to build the costume. I know, yeah. for the Elephant Man, and he like totally couldn't pull it off. Yeah. Basically, yeah, you know, like he wanted to do it really bad, and, and evidently he worked on it, and worked yeah. on it, and worked on it. it. Was like keeping it secret and stuff, but he just there was no way that he could actually make it work the way they needed it to work. Which I just thought was an interesting factoid, you know? Yeah, yeah. They ended up giving it to this. Uh, a British makeup artist named Christopher Tucker. There's a good video um, where he's, he's showing his, the molds and, and stuff a, a current video. Cause he's like an old man mm -hmm. now. Uh, Chris, uh, no, Chris, T is it Chris Tucker? Chris Tucker's that actor. He's like, hmm. a, he's like a black comedian, right? Chris Tucker from the. Yeah, Chris the, Tucker is a. No, yeah, is he, it, was, he was on wait Friday. A minute, wait a minute. Now I got to look You got up. knocked the fuck out! Okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, let me see. Uh, uh, 
this is one of Chet's long pauses where he goes, uh, (laughs) (laughs) it might be Chris Tucker though. I think Well, you go ahead and look it up. Yeah. Christopher, Christopher Tucker. Oh, Christopher Tucker. Yeah. Yeah. So let me tell you, as opposed to Chris Tucker, (laughs) Christopher Tucker, he's a British makeup effects artist and, um, he did an amazing job. It's probably the best thing he's ever done. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. And, and apparently in this video, he talks about how it was so last minute because Lynch tried to do it. Right. And, he, and he didn't really know what he was doing because that's a an incredibly elaborate makeup. Sure, I mean it, it would it's it would be difficult for the you know the most experienced makeup artist to do. So they they were had to you know literally work you know uh, doing twenty four hour days and stuff just to get the thing wow. done in time. Wow. Yeah, it was it was apparently a hell shoot. It was I forget <laughs> the 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 amount of weeks they had to do it. It was I couldn't believe it. It was ridiculous the the short amount of time they had. But anyway, anyway, so then and you know also mentioning Dune is worth mentioning because that was like kind of a disaster for him because he really didn't have creative control over it. And uh, so it's like almost kind of painful that he was attached, you know, in, in whatever way. And whatever was good about that film was definitely as a result of him. And whatever was not was DeLaurentis' fault. You know right, what I mean? Yeah. Like it's so obvious because the guy is a powerhouse, you know what I mean? And I think that there was a lot of micromanagement that went on in that film. It's still a great film. It's totally worth is watching. It? It's yeah, it's fun. You know, Kyle MacLachlan's always great. Yeah, he's great. It's you know the 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 Ben Jesuit and the voices and the you know all the things. I mean, if you like Frank Herbert and you like Dune, you like the story, you just totally get a kick out of it. It's circus. Well, it's heard- cheesy as hell. But 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 I gotta say, one of the coolest things about that film are the miniatures. There are the most amazing miniatures that have ever been like done on in film history in uh, Dune. I mean, just incredible miniature work. Yeah, I haven't seen it since it was in the theaters, like whenever that was in the eighties. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, uh, I heard that you have you kind of need to have read the books to to understand the movie. I don't know because I I guess I read the books. So I read the first book before I, I saw the movie, so yeah. I I didn't have I I wouldn't be able to say I suppose. I tried to read the books when I was like twelve, and it was a little over my head. It was a little beyond me, so I I, I stopped. But I, I well, I started when I was sixteen, so it was like I think I was more in a space yeah. builder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fear is the mind killer. It's the most famous Frank yeah. Herbert quote there is, you yeah. know, and that, that <laughs> scene is so amazing. He's sticking his hand in this box. It's funny because, again, in the movie, it's like so cheesy and dumb because it's like you're reading that book and they're talking about, you know, him having to put his hand in this box. And the feeling in this box is basically that his hand is completely incinerating and his skin is melting off and his like nerves are exposed and then his bone. And it's like the, the description is so intense. And the shot in the movie is just, you know, hokey dokey. It's like he puts his hand in the box and they show Kyle McLaughlin like straining and straining with his face and sweating. And then they like show this like really bad cheesy cutaway of the box where you can like kind of see the side of the box, but also inside of it. And the hands like burning. It's like a wax hand. And it just looks like, yeah, like they, they. They did amazing things on some level, like, you know, like uh, Baron Harkonnen and that whole scene with like is amazing. It's so well done. But then scenes like that where it's like the profundity of that scene really leads to like you caring about this character and thinking about what he means in the whole, you know, construct of this world. And it's so dumb and cheesy that you can't even buy it. You know what I mean? So there were a lot of hit pieces throughout that film, I would say. But nevertheless, a great film worth watching. Yeah, but th- not one of David Lynch's banner films by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> well, I will say I th- I'm pretty sure that Gianetto De Rossi did the uh-huh. make- did the makeup effects for that, and he is the guy who did the makeup effects in that. 
late seventies Italian or nineteen eighty movie Zombie, and oh yeah, some of the stuff in that is god awful. I mean, he's done <laughs> he's done some terrible makeups. But I remember thinking the stuff he did in Dune was pretty good on that, at least on that. No, a lot of it's great. Yeah, yeah. I'm I not... mean, even the little like the little dudes that they drink, like Baron Harkonnen, such this evil dude's got the cup and it's got this little miniature creature in it, and it's got a plunger, and you push the plunger down, and the creature's like, ah! and it like dies, <laughs> and all the juice comes out, and there's a straw sticking out oh, of the cup, nasty. and you suck. I don't even juice remember out. that. I gotta watch like, it. I gotta you watch know, it. Shit like that. Like that was, you know, there were great little nuances and fun shit. They did cool stuff with it. It's like it's why it's worth watching. But again, it's not a it, it's not a david lynch film right, i mean that's the thing right. it's just not a david lynch film you know he yeah. had some input basically yeah, right, you know right. kind of thing i remember hearing that you know at the time at the time he was saying how great it was going to be to the press and stuff and then after it came out years later he said the quote was something like you know you have to when you're making a movie you have to believe in it you know, it was almost like he was oh. kind of telling himself it was great, even though he knew it was it wasn't working right. and there was problems. You know, which was interesting. Yeah, but, that is interesting. Yeah. So one thing you know we should obviously have to bring up is Twin Peaks. Yes. And Twin Peaks, the I forget what the subtitle is, but the new Twin Peaks. Um, right. Right. Uh, and you haven't seen it, and I, I have not. seen it, and it's so amazing. I, I think it's better than the first. Twin Peaks, personally, I'm not surprised. You know, it's so good and so, and it's got it's a great mix of um, uh, really weird stuff that's hard to understand. It's there, but there's not too much of that stuff. There's just enough to make you go, "Oh man, that was really cool," and and uh, you know, linear storytelling. But there's so much cool stuff. I just can't wait for you to watch it because you're just gonna right. you're gonna watch the whole series again right after, like with the uh, Lost Highway. Probably it's so yeah, good. Yeah. Well, Twin Peaks. When Twin Peaks came out, I was pretty young. Mm. You know, I mean, Twin Peaks came out in the late '80s, and I was you know born in '79, so I was I was really young when I was oh, watching wow. it. It yeah. was on television. I remember watching it on television, even at my the house before I moved out to. So I moved to a new house when I was in the sixth grade, and I remember watching it at the house that I lived at before that. So I had to have been in like fifth grade. Wow. And I remember my, like my family was watching it. It was like a thing we would watch <laughs> yep. like my, and it, because it was, you know, if you watch it now, it's done in a way that it is easily consumed. You know, it's not something that would be difficult for just the average folks to right, watch. Right, and right. so like my parents were interested in it just cause it was different and, you know, ooh, you know, and it was of course filmed in partly in Washington and we lived in Washington and my sister was really into it. But this is like around, the same time that like my family was also sitting around and watching Beverly Hills 90210 like early days you know right. so it's like that but that was the qual that was like the category it was in was like you know like a drama like a you know a soap opera yeah I, I remember thinking like opera. I was watching and I, I just remember thinking I can't it's so cool that this got on TV on right. network TV it's the well, o- only kid, time a show like that's ever been on TV. And I was tripping out because like as a kid, you know, I've mentioned on this podcast, I had like these crazy otherworldly experiences with dreams and feeling like I was in alternate realities. And if you want to hear more about that, by the way, a little promo here, you can go over to a soundcloud.com forward slash emails from infinity and listen to my podcast, which is an audiobook all about my experiences with dreaming and parallel dimensions. But nevertheless, for me, having had those experiences watching the show, I was like, OK, like it was kind of like for you where you. Uh, 
you talk about in the in uh, the film Chet's Are I Like to Paint Monsters, the documentary, you talk about how when you saw Giger's work, you were like, oh, my God, there it is. Right. You know, for me, I was watching this going, OK, I'm not alone. You know what I mean? Right. Like there is something like other people know that there's something else going on that's inexplainable, you know, that are unexplainable. That's, uh, you know, inexplicable. And and he was doing it in such a way where he was weaving it in so like subliminally that like normal people didn't even know like my parents my sister and shit and i'm sitting there watching like dude this guy's talking about like you know shape-shifting in parallel dimensions in walkers and shit like this is you know the real deal and so yeah i was blown away you know and so i watched it as it came out and then of course later i went back and watched the whole thing several more times because kind of have to it's it is that good yeah. i mean it's cheesy too it's like there, there, yeah, yeah there's now you watch it and there's some you know Jay, the james character with his leather jacket and his purse pretty boy lips and stuff yeah. it's great because it's like he's david lynch is conjuring these archetypal characters that we all know but there's like cheesiness about it because well, yeah of, he was like I, this dramatic teen love shit you know he was going for i think you know like a a a uh mystery crime story, but also like a, a Peyton place soap opera, I think. Right, you right. Know? So, and you can definitely see that. Um, the, 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 yeah, I can't, I just can't wait for you to watch the new one. It's, it's really great. It's, it's, it's so good. You know, the, the thing I love about it, a lot of, um, I, I recently rewatched all of twin peaks and it has visually, it just kind of has like that cheap, cheap look of a, an 80s TV show once in a while where it's yeah. it just doesn't look great whereas it doesn't the, look filmic at all yeah yeah and the yeah, news it looks the, like the news it looks like the right. like what you the evening news right. kind of quality the like new one is life. the new one is very filmic it's and, and oh, it's is it? beautiful yeah it's oh, so great. it's like you know uh 18 hours of David Lynch movie you know what i mean wow. so and it, and it's and it's definitely uh you know, as as good as anything that's being shot today, it's really artistically amazing looking, and the art the art direction is so cool. Some of the and some of the stuff is very, again, it's there's a couple times it, that they they're going in other dimensions and stuff looks like dystopia. You know, right, it's right. weird. It's so weird. It's it's it, you know, it's it's like we're well. That's why I we're was pulling to, from know, the I, same place or something. You know, exactly. What I mean? That's I mean, for guys, you don't know this, but for years, I like was just trying to get Chet to believe me that the, <laughs> the place that he was painting is actually a real place, and that I've also been there, just separate from ever knowing him originally. You know, and he, it's that's hard to believe when you're this artist because that means like a lot of things. Like, well, what does that mean about my artwork if like it's a real thing that other people experience independent of me like that you know it's that that's a weird thing to wrap your head around so he had a hard time with that but he got over the hurdle to whatever degree i think also partly as a result of those other artists that we see that are doing the exact same thing and that are literally conjuring things that are so completely identical that it's like you can't not say it's coming from not coming from a collective unconscious right, you just yeah. can't not see that well, it's I like think such that's an a, obvious conclusion that's a quote of his i think where he says that uh ideas are are there floating around and it's like whoever grabs it first and nope. puts it out there gets the credit for it but it's like right. they're they're they've they're already there you know just waiting to be grabbed 
there's a dark world that, you know, we all have an, have a, a thoroughfare to however minor or however great, mm-hmm. you know, we all have, we all have access to this sensation of darkness. No one in this world has gone through their whole life without being terrified or afraid or anxious or nervous or worried mm-hmm. or, or terrified yeah. for that matter. Yeah. And everyone and knows. on the contrary, it's especially nowadays, that's the, the dominant state of being. For most people now, because things sure. are so things are scary right now, or are yeah. particularly scary. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, not to get too far off the topic, but concerning Mulholland Drive, I thought Mulholland Drive was probably the most filmic piece that he'd ever done. I mean, really, even more so than Lost Highway. Like, it is so clean and tight and well shot, mm-hmm. and you know, everything about it. There's really nothing wrong with the film, basically. I mean, What's really, a, it's I, like there, there was. It, I had a lot of questions with that. I've seen. I saw it maybe a year ago again. <laughs> And I haven't seen it now since God. It's been I don't even know, man. Oh, Eight yeah, years, yeah. nine years or something. There was a thing with a blue box and a key. Yeah, the and box and the key. What That's, did that mean? Do you know what, what that trip, meant? Huh? Do you know what that? Well, all I can say is that I think that Mulholland Drive, the whole thing, is actually a dream. That 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 the main character, the blonde hair, is she Naomi? Is that her yeah, real name? Yeah, uh, Naomi. Yeah, yeah uh, uh, Naomi Watts. Yeah, Naomi Watts. I. I as far as I can tell, the whole movie, everything that transpires between the beginning and the very beginning shot and the very ending shot is just all a dream. Uh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she has on an airplane as she's headed to go out to uh, the big city and open up and have this new life that she's never had. And the whole entire thing that happens in between is just this dream that she had about, you know, on the way there on the plane. <laughs> that's the whole uh. thing. I mean, as far as I can tell. Uh, I wonder if other people think that. I wonder if that's a theory. Or I have to look that up on the internet. I don't know because that was, you know, it's funny Chet brought that up now because, you know, when Chet and I were going back and forth on Lost Highway because he was like, oh, Blue Velvet's the best. And I was like, no, man, Lost Highway is the best. You know, <laughs> and Chet, you know, he wanted to to read up on it. And so Chet read up on Lost Highway. And then he, you know, because I wouldn't tell him. I was like, no, you have to watch it. I'm not going to tell you what I think it's all about, you yeah. know. And then, and then he, you know, he went and researched, like he just said about Mulholland Drive, and he found out what I already had assumed was the case, but I've never cross-referenced. Yeah, to me, the, to me, the, I never checked it. Yeah, you know? to me, knowing that made all the difference, though. I was able to watch the movie. Normally, I don't like to know anything about a movie and and be surprised, but I had seen that before, and I didn't. But understand you wouldn't it wanted, you wouldn't have wanted to watch the movie the first time knowing that yeah that would, probably not that would probably have not. ruined it probably not yeah, yeah, yeah it's more yeah. fun that's like a puzzle and you got to figure it out yeah you know? well, I, well i couldn't I, figure I, the I puzzle out spoiled, <laughs> i probably I, I probably spoiled mohol and jive for most people but um no well, it's a great film and there's so much cool shit that happens and honestly here's the thing about david lynch stories it's easy to say oh yeah well it's so obvious it's so simple it's just this one thing but of course it's so much more than just the one thing right. because all the things that happen along in the story are all talking about things there's there's a lot being communicated in a david lynch film aside from the obvious plot line The thing is, is that the plot line is typically pretty obvious, but there's a lot of subterfuge surrounding that obvious plot line. And most of that subterfuge is leading you to draw some pretty profound conclusions that may only be like tangentially uh, related to the plot. Yeah, yeah. Like there's this, there's a, that simple one, simple line. I remember when I was a kid seeing it and thinking it was cheesy too. And watching it this time, it was so deep. It like hit me on such a deep level or Kyle, uh, Kyle McLaughlin or McLaughlin or however he pronounced his name. Uh-huh. He's talking to Laura Dern in the car outside of the church, I think. 
And he says, what does he say? He says, why are there people like Frank Booth? Why is there so much trouble in this world? And it was like, it's so profound, you know, and and it's like you're, this is a perfect example because it's exactly what you're talking about. He's really getting at the, at the with this one small tangential little part. He's talking about the nature. Everybody thinks that. Everybody yep. thinks that. Why yep. is everything so fucked up? You know, right. no, and nobody really knows why, but it's so fucked up, and it does exist. Yep. You know what I mean? So I, I just, it was, well, that's, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. It was funny. It was it. funny seeing it again and going, I'm having the opposite reaction when I was a kid. I was like, oh, this, why is he so cheesy? And right, you know, right. And well, they even, but they even kind of play it with like a leave it to beaver kind of quality with him. You know what right, I mean? Yeah, like they, well, that's they how he is. He, he's, he's real naive. Yeah, you he's know? super naive. Yeah. Which, which makes it even but that's but that again yeah that's what makes it most so profound because the archetypal story that we're dealing with here is quote the fool which is the first card in the tarot deck right, right? And that's what his character is in that film right? right he's the fool he's the one that's like goes out on this journey in life like la di da everything's great then he finds an ear <laughs> knapsack, and then he falls off a fucking cliff breaks his legs he's laying at the bottom looking up going man why what why'd that happen to me that's cool you know so yeah it's it's beautiful and that's again probably part of the the profundity of what David Lynch does is that he works with archetypes. I mean, Joseph Campbell yeah. will be the first person to tell you that you know the the eternal human struggle is something that we all can relate to. And if you work with those archetypes within that uh, that spectrum, inevitably you're going to have things that people relate to and appreciate and can be entertained by and learn from. You know, and mm-hmm. that's the power of storytelling in a nutshell, really. Yeah, absolutely. David Lynch is an amazing storyteller, among other things. I mean, I, I've even listened to, like the. Uh, I remember I was following the one of these uh, David Lynch online Facebook things, and they put out when he did that that uh, score or not a score, but he did like a CD. It was just music. It was like not related to anything else he was doing. It was like a CD of music, mm-hmm. and I listened to a bunch of it and thought it was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's got. He's got musical talent too. I mean, he's, obviously, yeah. Angelo Adelamenti just kills it on all of his soundtracks. Yeah, but yeah. He, he he himself has musical talent as well. Yeah, well, he does the sound design for for his movies and stuff as well. All that weird, the weird sounds and all the sampling and shit yeah. like sampling sounds and mixing them together. Yeah, yeah. So he, he's definitely he's he's the real deal. You know, he's a, I guess you'd call him an auteur, where he kind of yeah, right. you know can, does does the whole thing. Um, I we can. We should wrap things up because we're over an hour, yes. but um, I'll give one my one last sort of personal Dave, David Lynch story that's just kind of funny and weird. Is uh, a friend of mine back when I was working at Rick Baker's. He uh, a friend of mine had is a huge Lynch fan, and he had uh, my buddy Mitch, who's the the great sculptor that I always talk about. Mitch and, Devane, yeah, Mitch Devane. He does these incredible um, likeness. He he can do he's like this weird copying machine, you know, people see his, he does look little miniature heads and, and uh, people think they're scans from a, a life cast or something. Cause they're wow. so good and so incredible. So he had Mitch sculpt a little David Lynch head, like about nice. so big six inches or something really great with his hair and everything is so cool uh, because he wanted to just give it to him because he had, I think he was maybe working on something that Jennifer Lynch, his daughter was working on. So I think he gave it to her to give to him just as a gift because he loved his work so much. And um, I think that's the way it went. Someone gave it to him and he wouldn't take it. He thought it was too weird. Wow. Yeah. He was, it just like, it creeped him out. Like, I don't know if it was the, like a stalk. He thought it was a stalker or what, but he, <laughs> he just, it is amazing. This little, 
bronze and he just wouldn't accept it. I thought that was wow. so strange. But anyway. Interesting. Well, he's definitely an idiosyncratic character if ever there was one. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know? for sure. It's the kind of thing you'd expect is that he would like not accept something right. like that. You know, like it almost seems perfectly weird right. in its own way because he seems like he would. I mean, I've never met the guy, but he seems like he is an odd bird, you yeah, know, and yeah. even when you watch like the art life and stuff and he's out driving around in his car, you know, you're definitely like, he, you know, clearly doesn't spend much time out in the world, right. you know, which is fine. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. You neither do you, neither do yeah, I for that right. matter, but you know, each person gets along with that better or worse, you know, and he definitely seemed like he was pretty stressed about having a camera on him driving right. around the city, streets, you know? So I imagine he, he could probably be a little bit high strung, not to mention, I mean, you know, I smoke too, but man, that guy could smoke. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, he's <laughs> so a- he, he's definitely, <laughs> seems like he needs to you know chill out a little bit (laughs) (laughs) there's another documentary did you see the other documentary not the most recent one but one for maybe before it yeah i did oh yeah it it shows him i think during the filming of inland empire Inland empire yeah yeah do you know the name of that one because i want to see it again I don't remember the name of that one. It's part of this the three-part one that they're doing because I'm following this. I've been following this page. I can't remember the name of it now, of course, because I'm just – it's like I don't remember. But anyway, they're doing three documentaries on him, and the, the art life's the second. And oh, there's really? still a third one coming out. Oh, yeah. excellent. Oh, cool. And that first one was the Inland Empire one. I started following that page I think in like 2011 maybe on uh. Facebook. And it's and they're, they're, it's a one filmmaker who's working with him and a team, and they're just doing this, this triptych. Right. Uh, these three, these three documentaries. Oh, about cool. Them. Yeah. I remember that, that, that uh, the first documentary was, it was, I remember I was surprised seeing him, how he works on set because he kind of gets like pissed sometimes. Yeah, Norm- yeah. Normally you see him and he's kind of, uh, quirky and, you know, seems meager good, almost. Yeah. In a way. And kind of good natured and just kind of quiet and, um, but he's it shows him on set kind of like getting pissed off like he did. you know yeah yeah which i you know of course it's a high stress he knows what he wants too yeah, I mean, he's yeah. one of those artists he's like you because i mean i watch you it's like i'll give you a for instance when we were prepping for the dystopia show you didn't get like mad or anything but when you're in the zone like when we were in your backyard and everything was happening trying to get everything done and get the show set up and get all the stuff done it's like you're a, you're a pretty laid back just chill dude but you were like fucking taskmaster you know you didn't have a second to think about anything other than what exactly was going on you know yeah. and you'd be like yes do that and yeah you're doing fine with that no you gotta and you'd like stop someone and be like yeah no i need this to happen right here and do this and then you just like walk away real abruptly you know and you weren't pissed you were just like you're off right. to the next thing because yeah. like so many you know balls in the air yeah you know that, what was, I mean? that was kind of so crazy i can see david lynch being, oh, yeah. and you being similar birds in that feather you well, know well i i the thing that struck me was is I was seeing him kind of as like a human being for the first time when I saw that first documentary. Cause you could just see how, you know, I was missing that aspect of his personality before I hadn't seen it. So it was like, it was kind of cool right. to see him as, you know, as a, as a human being and not like this magical artist. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing magical white haired artist with a, with a Corona of smoke about his face all the time. Where does he get these perennial cigarettes that never run out? <laughs> I'd like a pack. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Jennifer Lynch real quick, his daughter, if you have not seen any of her work, some of it for me is pretty hit and miss. But if you want to see a great film by Jennifer Lynch, watch Surveillance. It's absolutely awesome. Really? It's also got it. it's also got Bill Pullman in it, too. Yeah. And Bill Pullman is great in it. It's got it's got a female actress that's pretty famous in it, too. I can't think of her name right now, but it's called Surveillance. It's by mm. Jennifer Lynch, David's daughter. And it is an awesome, absolutely awesome film. I own it. It's totally worth watching like oh. at least four times. Wow. OK, I'm going to watch that. Then. Yeah. 
check it out. I'll watch that after I get through my um, Partridge Family box set. Oh, Jesus. You God. know, I've been watching th- that's for the fear, you know, for d- d- ego death. I-, I watched the Brady Bunch all the way through. Yes, I remember. For the fear, I've been watching the Partridge family just because oh, wow. <laughs> it's like, you know, this is the stuff I grew up on. It's so bad. I'm just like, you know, I always think of, I see the stuff that, you know, uh, young kids are watching today and growing up on. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's going to be so bad for them. You know, they're what they're just exposed to this total trash. And how is it going to affect right. their future? And then I'm watching the Partridge family and I'm like, <laughs> I grew up on way worse shit. And, you know, I, I guess I mean, I kind of turned out OK, so. <laughs> but oh my god it's it gives like, you faith in the future generation to watch trash like the partridge family yeah, yeah exactly so it's 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 so funny to just because i'm, I'm we, it, we used no, to have the to partridge you, family is this intentional is this intentional like when you went into ego death no, were you like no, no, no. were you like okay i'm going to subject no. myself to this and then now you're no. it's just it just is part of your creative it's process is what you're saying it, yeah it came an up. organic thing is that you get these box sets of terrible terrible sitcom type 70s shows that are like painful for you to watch no, because no, no, it inspires no, no. you no, to no, paint no, no, monsters no. no they're not painful they're they're like it's a, the nostalgia thing you know because it's like the partridge family they'll play the song every episode right. we used to have partridge family records like my i have an older brother and sister and you know she had my sister had the partridge family records so we used to hear the song so it's it's hearing the songs and like Oh my God! I remember that song you haven't heard since you were five years old or whatever. But you told me that part of watching the Brady Bunch is because of how disturbing it is. Yeah, yeah, but it's like a creepy. It's weird. It's like a. It's a. It's a creepy, nostalgic feeling, you know, because it makes me feel. It reminds me of how, you know, scared I felt and how awful I felt as at times, and and also like the fun I had. It's like a weird. It's nostalgia. Huh. It's nostalgia. So it's the same thing as it's the same thing as as grandpa chasing you around the dark house with the mask on. It's like <laughs> it's super scary, but also it's fun too at the same time because yeah. that's your big thing. That's your big drug is this the mixing the fun and the scary yeah, together. I guess so. I guess so. So the, so folks, for all of you out there, the Partridge family is both fun and scary. <laughs> and this is why Chet's using his fuel for the fear. <laughs> it just sort of happened. It just, it's, I don't know how, I, I have to watch, you know, I have to have things on the TV while I'm painting just to listen to. Right, so right. for some reason, the Partridge family came up and I was, that's great. I was shocked at how bad it was. It was it's so <laughs> bad, but oh my God, you know, Danny is actually funny and the whole Danny Rubin Kincaid relationship is kind of funny. But other than that, it's like, you know, they're reusing jokes in this, in, you know, different episodes, exact same joke and situations. It's so like lazy, terrible writing. So (laughs) cheesy. So amazing. Anyway, so I got, I got it. Once I finish, I've got uh, two more seasons of the Partridge family and then maybe I'll get on that um, Jennifer Lynch movie. See, this is why when you have dreams and they, they look, your your monsters look so cheesy and they look all like fake, like the, like, like paper mache mass and shit. And like, you're kind of scared, but you're also like, it's kind of cheesy and dorky. That's that same thing. That's yeah. like that vanilla and chocolate swirl of like fun and fear, you know, like it, it's not too scary because it's fake, but at the same time, it's scary enough that like, I don't really want to go near it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that what, that, a char- that what a character you are, Chet. <laughs> that and Project Runway is happening. The new, <laughs> the new Project Runway season, which is really good. 
Uh, well, I just I, finished I, watching. I'll tell you what I just finished watching. I just finished watching Women Behind Bars on Netflix. Oh, they have yeah. three three seasons of it, and it's highly enlightening for anybody out there who's interested in true crime because obviously it's a true crime show, um, and it's very objective in the sense that they pitch it to you just like this is what happened. I mean, there's some extra cinematic code. There's some there there's some narration where they're implying what you should think, but nevertheless, it's pretty objective. Um, and you're just these women. You know, you know the outcome. The name of the show is Women Behind. Behind bars. Yeah. So the end of the show, those women, they're going to end up behind bars. That's for damn sure. <laughs> but what's interesting is to see the stories and learn about it and to see how many times, you know, people just get fucked for number one, being a woman, number two, being addicted to drugs and number three, being mentally ill. Yeah. You know, I mean, God damn it, dude. Right. People just get screwed by the justice system. left black. and right. Number four, being black. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Actually, color, being, yeah. no, no. Take that back. Being number one, being eth ethnic, absolutely. Right, right. Before even woman, yeah. Be, if you're black or brown, totally. And it, the show is fascinating. I mean, and some of these people, you know, like you oh, hear their story yeah, and you're like, dude, these people be, they belong my bars. Right, but other yeah. people, you're like, what a travesty, you know? And for me, I get real excited about watching true crimey stuff. And also I care very much about the, you know, women and, and women having rights in this world. So anyway, if you want to watch some 45 minute long episodes for three seasons long and binge it like I did, it'll last you like a good two weeks, but women behind bars. Right. <laughs> it's not really the best put together show. The recreation's <laughs> terrible. Yeah. They reuse the same shots multiple times yeah. on multiple episodes. But I'm a true cr crime glutton, so I've I've wheedled my way down to that now. Although I just started yesterday uh Confession Tapes, which is a Netflix original and it's really good. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. it's really good. It's disturbingly, of course, like these, it's disturbing, but it's more obvious how disturbing it is because they're kind of pointing out like the hypocrisy of the justice system. Oh, yeah, bit, yeah, yeah. Whereas like behind bars is more like rah, rah, don't right. smoke weed and, you know, raise your kids right and, you know, or or else you go to jail. And right. you know, so, yeah, but the, the confession tapes is so far pretty good, pretty disturbing. All right. I mean, disturbing in all the right ways, you know. Yeah. I like to see what's wrong with the world. And, you know, that's part of this whole dark art thing, right? I mean, to be honest, is like it's obvious that there's a lot of bad shit going on and we just try to glaze over it, you know. Right. So it's good to actually see these social injustices and recognize them and realize that you are not, you know, you're not safe. No one is safe, you know. Your spouse could die under totally normal circumstances and they could pin a murder on you just because they want to. Right. Because they're building their career on you and you could go yeah. to jail for the rest of your life innocent and that shit happens. So be aware, you know. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap it up. Oh, it. Hour 15. David Lynch. <laughs> Yay. We love David Lynch. Thanks, guys. Okay. We appreciate you bearing through this, uh, this loquacious episode. And again, I'd, li I'd like to say again, please spread the word because I, as much as I, I when I go to these conventions where I, like I just went to Son of Monster Palooza, I hear people, as much as I hear them saying, I've been listening to your podcast podcast and it's great i've been hearing i had no idea you had a podcast so right. it's still very <laughs> underground so if you can just spread the word um and yep. tell, tell people about it or share it on on the web that would be great uh Rate and review us you head over to itunes yeah. and give us a reading and a review that's super helpful as well yeah and uh if you want to support go on over to chetsar.bigcartel.com and you can buy some stuff we have uh, cheap prints and all kinds of merch and t-shirts and artwork and that will help to support this podcast and uh and we'll say um we've got big things coming but we you know we'll hold off talking
talking about it until we've fully decided and settled on what we're going to do. But but there are some cool big projects regarding the Dark Art Society podcast yes. that we are working on, and we will you'll be the first to know. When we well, there's going to be settled. ways for people to be involved, and that's the exciting thing. You know that what's that's what this is all about is people cooperating, working together. You know, so yeah. I, the big news is not going to be unveiled, but there's going there are going to be ways for people to be involved in the further development of this whole process. Yes. So on that note, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.